If, if you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to, to turn in them to Psalm 128. Uh, in fact, I'd, I'd love for you, and you'll be able to, to, to follow some of the things I'm going to be doing in the text, probably a little bit easier today if you do have your Bibles open. Uh, we always put the, the scriptures up on the screen in, in front of us, so you'll, you'll be able to, to follow pretty well there. But uh, uh, I'm going to make sure you can see some connections in this text, and uh, if you have your Bibles open, you'll probably be able to do so a, a little bit easier. So today we're turning uh, back to Psalm 128. Uh, which is uh, one of the songs of ascents. And so we've had a couple of weeks away from that uh, in our mission festival. And, and so we're turning back to this collection of psalms. It's, it's uh, 15 psalms that go from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. Uh, they are called, and each of them are entitled this way, a song of ascents. And, and the reason for the title is because these, these songs or psalms would, would be used for that purpose of, of really the Jewish pilgrims sort of ascending up to uh, Jerusalem to worship the Lord. And as we have looked at, at each of these psalms, we've, we've used them as uh, really tools of, for, for discipleship, if you will, a means of us sort of thinking about what the Word of God says so that we can, we can draw closer to Him. And that will, will certainly be the case as we look at the psalm in front of us today. So Psalm 128, a song of ascents. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Uh, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. And this is God's word. Uh, may the Lord bless the reading and the preaching and the hearing of his word this morning. So I imagine for, for some of us at least, maybe many of us, you have been uh, out and about and you have had an opportunity to greet someone. Maybe it's happened in a grocery store or pharmacy or whatever. And, and you've, you've greeted the person and you ask, you know, how, how are you doing? And they have responded uh, by saying, blessed. Or maybe blessed and highly favored. Have you heard that? Yeah. I think many of us have probably heard that from people. Now, um, a lot of times when we have our reformed antenna up, right, when we, when we hear that blessed or blessed and highly favored, those antenna, they begin to go, uh, 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 what am I hearing right here, right? Because, I mean, we, we probably have some sense that a lot of times the people who say that are, are coming out of a particular uh, kind of theological tradition, uh, like the prosperity theology. And so, so there's a part of us that when we hear it, we, we immediately sort of begin to critique in our minds. And I think there's, there's uh, a reason and a valid reason for the critique because I think prosperity theology is so, so dangerous and, and actually so anti-biblical. And for a couple of reasons. One, I, I don't think it, can, it honestly deals with uh, the reality of, of believers and people who are faithful to the Lord and their sufferings and their hardships, and their difficulties. Uh, it doesn't have a place really for, for that. But I think there's, a, there's a, another reason that's even more, uh, I think, more serious in our critique of prosperity theology, and, and that is it has a wrong view of God. In other words, it, it ultimately views God almost as, as a, a transactional being. And, and what I mean by that is that we have this sort of notion, prosperity theology has this sort of notion that if, if you sort of put in the coin of faith, then you're going to get this return, right? It's almost a way of, of kind of bargaining with God. If I, if I have faith, then God is now 
obligated automatically to, to give me something back in return, right? And it's a, it's a very faulty view of God, and I think it's a very faulty view of the Christian life. Yet, saying all of that, something that we all need to understand is that as Christians, every last one of us should be able to say, I'm blessed. Because we all are. We all are. We're blessed. We're blessed. And that's what this psalm is, is really about. It is a psalm of blessing. And this psalm of blessing teaches us two things that I want to spend some time talking to you about today as we look at it in some detail. And the two things are these. Number one, that God blesses faithfulness. God blesses faithfulness. And the second thing that I want us to spend some time talking about is this, and that is that God blesses faithfulness now. (laughs) Right now, in this life, for us, in real ways. God blesses faithfulness, and God blesses faithfulness now. Now, let's talk about those and consider what the text is saying. The first of these is this idea that God blesses faithfulness. And and I hope, I hope that I don't have to convince you of that. I I mean, I I hope you you know that. I hope you believe that. And and part of the reason why I hope you know that and believe that is because it, it actually is an encouragement and motivator for a life of faith. To know that God actually does see his people, that God actually does bless his people when we are seeking to honor and glorify him. I'm reminded of what the writer of Hebrews says in in, uh, the faith chapter, which is Hebrews chapter 11. And he says this in verse 6 of Hebrews 11, and it's it's a very important thing to think about. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I mean, you you think about that idea of drawing near to God. That's what this sermon series has been all about. It's been about us drawing near to God. I mean, you consider the the songs of ascent with this idea of us ascending, approaching, and getting closer to God. This is what we are here for, to draw nearer to God. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is, is, listen, for us to do that, we have to know two things. We have to believe two things. Number one, you have to believe that God exists. If you don't believe God is real, if you don't believe God exists, then why are you going to draw near to him? But the other thing, he says, is you have to believe that God rewards, listen to the language, he rewards those who seek him. Do you understand that? God rewards those who seek him. Okay. Now, what the the writer of Hebrews is saying is very similar to what the psalmist is saying. Just, Just... Different words, but notice what the psalmist says again. Verse 1, blessed is everyone. Notice there's there's no limits on that. Blessed is everyone, but it's not just everyone in the world. It is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. And then this is said again, a little bit further down, and it's, it's in, 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 in terms of sort of biblical interpretation, it's called an inclusio. It's sort of two, two sides that sort of wrap up a middle. And in verse 4, note note again, he he uses that same language. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Now, note what this is helping us to understand. That there is blessing that comes through the fear of the Lord. And so what are we talking about there? What what do we mean when we talk about fear? I I imagine most all of us here know, but just in case anyone doesn't. I want to make sure we understand that this isn't a cowering fear. 
This isn't that sort of natural fear that we would have like if we're out camping in the woods and all of a sudden a bear starts chasing us, right? It's not that kind of fear. It's not like a terror over a particular kind of thing. It's a godly fear. And godly fear is it's, it's reverence. You've probably heard that word used in relationship to this. It's a sense of awe of, of the living God. It's, it's coming before who God really is, who God really is. And all that God really is And what it means to know this God and to surrender your life and to submit to him. And this is part of the reason why it's so important when you look at this. He he doesn't just say, the psalmist doesn't just say, blessed are those who fear the Lord and leave it at that. He helps us to understand a little bit of what that means. Because you can, anybody can say, yeah, I fear the Lord. But the psalmist says more than that. He says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. See, this is, the, this is the indication of a genuine fear of the Lord, a genuine reverence to the Lord. In other words, that the, 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 his will begins to shape and define ours, that we begin to walk in his ways. And this is why a life of faithfulness and a life of obedience is an indication of, of a fear of the Lord. In fact, I could take it even further and say to you that this is an indication of what it means to love God. That's what Jesus says. John picks up Jesus' words. And he says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, what? He says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And so this whole, whole idea of fearing the Lord means we, we, we see it through faith, through what God has done in calling us to himself, we, we get it. God is to be feared. He is to be revered. He is to be the one that defines all of my reality. And now I'm going to walk in his ways, walk in his ways. Now, when we begin to think about the blessed life in that way, it actually helps us to to get at blessing in, in and I think, a different way than prosperity theology does. Because a lot of times what happens is, is we get this idea of blessing primarily and first of all being something external that then is given to us, Right? And so then when we think of blessing, we, we, our minds sort of are oriented around, I got this thing and I'm blessed, or I got this money and I'm blessed, or I got this whatever and I'm blessed. And, we, and I'm not saying that that's, that's not a wondrous gift, but, but actually what the psalmist seems to be saying is something altogether more important, and if we don't get this, we're not getting the rest. And that is that, that blessing, that blessing, it's not primarily transactional as much as it is covenantal or relational. Now, I've used that language before, but it means this. It means that blessing is about the relationship. Blessing is about knowing him. Blessing is about being brought back to the, to the place of blessing. So if you note in the first part of verse 5, where the psalmist says, and we're going to come back to this a little, bit more, a little bit later in the sermon, the Lord bless you from Zion. Now that helps us to understand the source of blessing, but note again what this is saying. The Lord bless you from Zion. Why Zion? Is there something specific about the geography of Zion? Why Zion? Because the temple was there. Because God was there. This is where God met his people. Which means this, that when we think about being blessed, this is why every last one of us who claims the name of Christ Jesus are blessed. Because what being blessed means is this, 
that through faith in the crucified Savior, you have been brought back into a relationship with the living God where God is now present and at work in you by the Spirit of God, which means you are blessed. And the way of blessing, it flows out of that. In other words, there's no other blessing unless you have that. Right? Now, what, are, what does our world do? Well, our world is, that's, that's turned away from God, it, it tries to offer all kinds of substitute blessings, doesn't it? It tries to offer them. Like you're going to be blessed and happy if you're wealthy. You're going to be blessed and happy if you're popular. You're going to be blessed and happy if you have power. You're going to be blessed and happy if you, if you are accepted. You're going to be blessed and happy. And, all, and, and one of the things we all know, and you can pretty much listen to anybody that depends on that. You do not find satisfaction, and it will ultimately fail. And there's a reason for it. Because there is no blessing outside of this relationship. There is no blessing. I don't know if any of you have ever been in, in a place, a country maybe, that where they either don't have traffic laws or they don't use them. Probably, probably you, some of you are probably thinking, I live in one, right? Right here. I know what that's like right here, right? But if, you, if, you've, if you've actually been in a place where, where really they don't have them, I mean, it's something to behold. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, this, it's like everybody is out for themselves. Everybody is just going in whatever direction they want to go, or whatever side of the road, it doesn't really matter because everybody's just trying to get there. And you know what it is, it's chaos, and it's, it's, it's mayhem. In, in a sense, I want you to realize, and this is true, if it were not for, hear this, because this is what the Bible actually teaches, if it were not for God's common grace and the things that restrain evil in this world and God's people who are salt and light in this world, that would be a valid picture of what the world is like. Everybody going their own way. Chaos, fighting, right? Turmoil. There's nothing of blessing there. Why? I love the way the, the, the theologian and pastor, H.H. H. Farmer, put it. He said this. He said, if you, if you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. And he's right. You go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. And that's the problem. If you go against the universe, you're not blessed. I don't care what you have. You're not blessed. Okay? Now, when we come back to him, when we know the source and the reality of that blessing, then we can begin to talk about it. And one of the ways when we think of blessing, I mean, of course, we think of we think of spiritual blessing, don't we, right? And all of us do, because we are. I mean, we're wonderfully spiritually blessed. I mean, in Ephesians 1, 3, uh, Paul says this, Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Wow. Praise God. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You are blessed with justification, you are declared right before a holy and righteous God. You are blessed with adoption. You are a part of the family of God and all the privileges of God. You are blessed with an eventual ultimate glorification and perfection where there will be no more sin and no more struggle and no more death. All of those things are ours because we've come back to the source of blessing. But here's the question that I want to ask you. What, what, what about now? And in a sense... 
Yes, I mean, we have spiritual blessings now, the presence and working of the Spirit of God in our lives. But, but let me push it a little bit further. What about like practical, tangible, touchable blessings now? Well, that's my second point. That God blesses faithfulness now. Right now. In spiritual and very practical ways. Very practical ways. Now, part of the, part of the rub here, and all of us, I mean, this is, you know, I think, I think there's a part of us, if we have, um, if we've come to terms with sort of the deficiencies of, of prosperity theology, maybe we've done that theologically, which is what I talked to you about a moment ago. But it could be the part of us have done it just because we look at it and go, that don't make no sense, right? I mean, literally, I mean, you kind of look at it and go, my life doesn't look like that, and I have faith in Jesus, right? So, so the, 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 the issue that we're always sort of struggling with is, all right, if, if there are these promises of blessing in the world, well, what about when it, when it feels really hard and difficult? What about when my life is falling? What about the, 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 the tr- struggles and the difficulties of sin and all those kinds of things, right? I mean, that's, that's something that we have to think about. Keep in mind... The, the psalmist, like all of the biblical writers, this psalmist writing Psalm 128 would have been very familiar with the fact, I mean, this is the inspired word of God, that we live in a fallen and broken world. That the psalmist would have had a sense that we live in a world where, we, where the flesh and the, the devil and this world system are at work against us. I mean, the psalmist would have understood that, right? But the psalmist still says some things that are pretty spectacular about this world's present blessing. So how do we understand that? Before I read it to you, read the verses again, I want to help you get a perspective on it. Well, scholars in looking at this psalm, they, they say something about it that I think is interesting and helpful in interpreting it. In that, they call this not only a psalm of blessing, but scholars also call this psalm a wisdom psalm. Now, when you hear that, you, it, it probably sounds a bit redundant to say that because the Psalms, the whole Psalter is a part of wisdom literature, right? So all of the Psalter in a sense is a part of that category of wisdom literature. But scholars point out that this particular Psalm is a wisdom Psalm and what they're saying is this, that this Psalm is one of a few Psalms that you could kind of lift it out of the Psalter and you could stick it right down into the Proverbs. It's like that. In other words, it even has a sense of, you know, one of the, the things that's said in the Proverbs is the fear of the Lord is what? Is the beginning of wisdom, right? That idea in the Proverbs. So if, if this psalm is in some ways proverbial, it's like the Proverbs, then what does that mean? Well, let's think of the Proverbs for a moment. What the Proverbs are are proverbial sayings that, that they, they reflect the, the life of wisdom, Okay. And, and what the proverbial sayings basically are communicating to us are, are general rules. And in this sense, if you, if you live in a way that reflects the wisdom of God, if you live in this way according to or in, 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 in accord with the grain of the universe, then there is going to be, and this is how Proverbs write, there's going to be these good, th- good things that result from that, right? However, like, like any rule... There are these times where there are, what, exceptions to those rules. 
And I think the, the exceptions to the rules come in what way? It comes when you're living according to the grain of the universe. Usually you live in accordance to the grain of the universe. All these, these good things are going to come. But there's, there's also still what? There's still sin. There's still brokenness. There's still the evil one. There's still this world system. Those things are still there. And they may have an impact. Now, God ultimately has control of even that, working even that for good. But those things are still there. And I'll give you one specific example. This, this, is, a, this is a proverb we all know so well. And it's, it's, it's uh, Proverbs 22, 6. All of us who are here, who are older parents, who raise kids as believers, raise them in this Proverbs. All of you who are here today, who are younger parents, raising children in the Lord, raise them in this proverb. And you should. Because it's a wondrous, glorious truth about wise living. And here it is. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. And you know what I say about that proverb? Yes. That is absolutely true. Guys, do it. Do that. Which means help your child to know what it means to know Jesus. Share the gospel with them. See them led to Christ. Have them in church. Have them in Sunday school. Have them in youth ministry. Have them exposed to the things of the kingdom. Model for them the things that are good for, for living for God. Help to train them in the right way. But I bet you, I, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I bet some of us know the story, the journey of this. You've done that, and your kids done gone crazy. Right? Why is that the case? Back up. I've said it twice now. God is not transactional. He's covenantal. You don't look at these, pro these, these proverbs and just say, it's automatic. You just do that automatically. I'm going to turn out this kid, right? There are other things that come to bear in this. Like what? When your kid gets older, what are the decisions your kids are making? What are things that they are choosing to do? Do you understand that? Here's the promise. I mean, listen to it again. Blessed are those who fear God and walk in his ways. That's what he says. That's the promise part. Now, okay, that's a sort of interpretive tool. Now, let's kind of get into the details. Because the psalmist, I mean, he, he actually does say some pretty cool things that we need to go yes to. And what are they? Verses 2 and 3. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. You know what he's saying? He's saying for those who fear the Lord and walk in his ways, here are the two areas that you are going to see blessing. In your work or your labor, that's the first part, and in your family. This is what he's saying. If you fear the Lord and walk in his ways, you are going to see blessing. Now, let's, let's take that and apply it to us individually, okay? It, it means God is there for you in, in your labor, in your work, so that there can be real fulfillment in it and real joy in it and real blessing in it. That God is there for you in your home so that you can see a marriage that has health to it and, and children that are growing in the Lord. All of those things are true because God is bent towards you. Because you are in him. Now, it doesn't mean you're never going to have problems. 
That doesn't mean you're never going to have difficulties. You've got to keep coming back to that, that sort of proverbial thing, right? That sense of, yeah, that's going to happen. But you remember this and this and this. These are other things that may play into this, right? But I actually think this is about more than that. That this text is about more than your individual blessings. Because note, the psalmist here mentions two things. He mentions work and he mentions family. Do you know what those two things actually reflect? Take your mind back in the Bible. Go all the way back to the beginning. They actually reflect what are called creation ordinances. Now creation ordinances are basically those things that God told Adam and Eve that mankind was supposed to do. What are they? Well, here's the language of the early parts of Genesis. Be fruitful and multiply. Don't put that up yet. Be fruitful and multiply and fill. Hey, they do a great job, but they don't know what the crazy man's going to do up here. So, all right. <laughs> so be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. What is that? That's about husbands and wives and filling the earth with, with babies. It's about the family. When God tells Adam and Eve that they are called to rule, to rule over creation, how do they do that? That's work, God glorifying work. That's what rule is, okay? So the creation ordinances are these, these two things. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and rule over the creation. Okay, that's what God told Adam and Eve to do. And guess what they had to do it? They had God's blessing on it. Why? Because they were in relationship with God. Then what happened? Adam and Eve fell into sin, the fall. Now, do you remember God's judgment upon them? I'm going to read it to you. And as I read this to you, I want you to think about verses 2 and 3 of Psalm 128. And I want you to hear this from Genesis chapter 3. To the woman, this is verse 16, to the woman, he said, I will multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children and your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he, will rule, he shall rule over you. This is a judgment on what? The family. The family. The next thing, verses 17 down through verse 19. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you have eaten the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall, shall eat the, the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. What is that a judgment against? It's a judgment against work. Isn't it? Now, if you think about that, God gave to mankind these ordinances. This is what we are here to do. We are here to work and rule. We are here to produce, to fill the earth. 
And then man turned away from God. It had all the blessings of God, and it turned away from God in the fall, and God brings judgment upon those two things. And now the psalmist, now look at verses 2 and 3 of Psalm 128 again, and think of it redemptively. He says, you shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. You see what's going on there? It is God Almighty, through his redemptive program, reordering the world. In other words, when you come back to the source of blessing, you now can know, and this is the grain of the universe that you are now, you're flowing according to the grain. You now can live in the way of blessing. You can now see, and this is, this is a wondrous truth for us. It's basically saying that a fallen world that, that we have corrupted, that we have corrupted our very purpose in the world, that when we come back to Jesus, God's blessing is on those very things that he calls us to do. And that is ours. Now, as I wrap up, I want to say this, because it's another thing that's really interesting about this passage. When you look at the beginning of the passage, there is a promise. And the promise is basically this. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and walks in his way. That's a promise. You can cling to it. You are blessed if you fear him and are walking in his way. Okay? The passage ends with a pronouncement. And the pronouncement is a benediction. And you see this in verses 5 and 6, right? Which say, if you can put that on the screen, the Lord bless you from Zion. See, this is a, a benediction. It's a pronouncement of blessing. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children, peace be upon Israel. So the first section of this psalm is a, is a promise. It means we need to believe that promise. That the blessed life is fearing God and walking in his way. The end of this is a benediction. Now, when you think of the benediction and what he says, he's actually still talking about the same things. He's just extending it out. So when he says in verse 5 again, may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life, there's a linking word there to what he's already talked about. When he uses the word prosperity, back in verse 2, at the end of verse 2 where it says, you shall be blessed and it shall be well with you, the word for well there is actually a word, it's not the same exact word, but it's a word that also is translated as prosperity. So that the NIV translates this, prosperity will be yours. In other words, he's still dealing with the prosperity of work. And so what is he doing here in verses 5 and 6? He's talking, I think, about the extension of these creation ordinances. So what he's saying is this, may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem. He's talking about God blessing the work of those who, are, who fear him and walk in his ways, and that blessing is extended out. And whether you view Jerusalem as being the people of God so that your work in faithfulness to God blesses the people of God or your work being faithful to God blesses the city you're in, whichever way he's talking about an extension of that work. He's pronouncing your work blessed. Verse 6 is clear. 
Because he just says, may you see your children's children. That's an extension. Not only is your home blessed, but if you walk faithfully before the Lord, your children walk faithfully before the Lord, may you have the longevity to see your grandchildren walk faithfully before the Lord. And your great-grandchildren walk faithfully before the Lord. Why? Because you get that the fear of the Lord is a source of blessing. Now, let's back up a little bit. What do you do with benedictions? I'm going to pronounce one in just a second. And I'm going to put my hands up, and I'm going to say to you, pronounce over you, God's blessing. What do you do with it? Well, some traditions actually model this, and some of you do this, actually. A lot of traditions, more liturgical traditions, when the minister gets up and he pronounces the benediction, the congregation of God's people does this. Why? Because you're receiving it. You're receiving it. Now, when you look at the order of this passage, what it's basically saying is that there is a promise and there is a pronouncement. The promise is where blessing lies with him. Do you believe that? The benediction is a pronouncement that this is what is yours. This is what is yours. And my brothers and sisters in Christ, whether you do it physically or just in your hearts, here's what I want you to do today. Receive it. God has placed us back into the way of blessing. That's yours. Receive it today. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for being faithful. Thank you for your love. Thank you for blessing us. And I pray that we, Lord, your people would understand that glorious promise of being blessed by you. And what it means to live, Lord, according to and in line with the very grain of the universe in a way that reflects your will. Lord, for some of us, and, and, and maybe for many of us, I don't know, but uh, uh, we have lived a life that has, um, has been anything but towards you. Uh, but Lord, we're thankful for the grace of the gospel and that we can turn back, Lord, and know that in Jesus Christ there is forgiveness. In Jesus Christ there is restoration. In Jesus Christ there is help. So that even this day, even this day, we can receive your blessing and walk in accord with your will. And see, Lord, even in the midst of a world of sin and struggle and hardships, you show yourself faithful to us, your people. Thank you again for this time in your word. We love you, Lord. Great indeed is your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing our closing hymn.